Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 29 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, I can say that word, and to relentlessly pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem, and hopefully solving that correctly as well. We have a very spiritual episode planned for today, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You them and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we are an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can always listen in later on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whoever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part, we got a couple goodies. We have a suggestion on how to market the Libertarian Party. Another one about polygamy. One wife is enough for me, thank you. One about puppy mills, of all things. And if we have time, there's yet another one on the primary elections. After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is a mix of the cultural and political with just a dash of environmental. We have the pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and a past Libertarian candidate for state senate, the Reverend Adam Reinhardt. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it'll be my turn. Your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant, inspired by one of our listeners, political marketing. And throughout the show, as is our recently established custom, we'll be featuring two, count them, two Pennsylvania Toastmasters. First, we'll be serving as narrator to read our live commercials. Narrator today is a member of the Drexel University Toastmasters Club in Philadelphia, Andrew Greer. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Andrew. Ah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you. Toastmasters are always welcome here. Let me ask, what do you like about Toastmasters? I like that it gives me the ability to go up and speak my mind in front of others, and it's just a fun experience all around. I enjoy it quite a bit. And it got you on the radio, too. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that. <laughs> And as I mentioned, we have two Toastmasters with us today. The second one is one of our more experienced Toastmasters who will read and help respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and contribute to the conversation with our guest. It's a new role. I call it cohort. Not quite co-host. Not quite just nobody. It's in the middle. Our cohort today is from the Educational Testing Service Toastmasters Club, one of my clubs, Margaret Sassuni. This is her second stint on the Pennsylvania Project, in fact. Welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project, Margaret. Thank you, thank you. Wow, what brought you back? I thought I might have scared you off by now. Oh, no, not at all. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to be your sidekick. <laughs> Just don't kick me. <laughs> I'm in close proximity, you uh, never know. <laughs> I know, I know. My no, it's great to be back. I'm glad to see everyone here. Mm. You know, my dad had a saying. He said, careful, I bruise easily. Oh. Very funny, but I didn't hurt that from him. I'm in politics. you got to have thick skin in politics, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's dig into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but to explore solutions. Margaret, what do we got today? You ready for this, Ken? We've got a note from Roy Manette from Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. Roy wants to know that he wants to point out what I consider an important marketing flub in your description of the Libertarian Party. Nobody gives a rusty bleep 
about the third largest of anything. So I strongly recommend that you stop labeling the Libertarians the third largest party. Instead, please try something like one of the following or similar variant. In quotes, the Libertarian Party is far the greatest and the best alternative to old and declining political parties. <laughs> the Libertarian Party is the largest and the best alternative to the old establishment and political parties. And third, the Libertarian Party is the largest alternative to the old political parties for those who want a smaller government and greater freedom. I'll wager that if we actually test these approaches by asking a bunch of non-libertarians, which sounds better, my approach would win hands down. Good marketing is important, and libertarians are not very good at marketing or even at communicating effectively with non-libertarians. I feel like it's unfortunately necessary to first market the importance of marketing the libertarians, and apparently I'm not good enough at doing that. Well, Roy, you just, you just did. At least you made a shot at it. And it, it is a perennial criticism about us libertarians. And I'd be the first to agree, we are terrible, terrible marketers. That's because we're just a bunch of regular people who wish the government would just leave us alone. Look at me. I'm a computer guy raised in North Philly in a row home, and here I am on the radio of all places. I've run for governor three times, and I'm typical of our Libertarian Party candidates. In other words, let me quote Zaphon Beeblebrox from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Who, Ken? He's just this guy, you know? And we in the Libertarian Party, we're just filled with people who are just this guy and just this girl. Two old parties, though, they have their slick marketers, their focus groups, their test audiences, their spin doctors, and worse. The way they run politics is like a teacher teaching to the test, except it's campaigning according to the polls. We Libertarians, we don't do anything like that. And Roy isn't suggesting any of that nonsense. At least I don't think so. What do you think, Margaret? Which do you think that Roy is right? Should we be talking one of those? I don't know. I think referring libertarians as third largest kind of puts it in perspective, right? If you know the other two parties are the dominating ones, the third one is you know we're the third libertarians. Mm -hmm. so, That's right. Yeah, and we outnumber all the other third parties put together. And it's not like we're the sixtieth. That's right. Yeah, we're the third. Well, you're... It's okay to be number three. Uh-huh. Bronze medal. Yeah, that's right. We get, we get the bronze. I hadn't <laughs> thought of it in that, that term. I'm probably going to steal that one. Thank you very much. Uh, Avis, the car rental company, used to have ads, and they always said, we try harder. We're number two. We try harder. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty good, but we're number three. I'll uh, take number three. I'll take number yeah. three. And we're, and we're still growing. You know, I, Roy and I have had this conversation before. I saw him at our convention back in March. And he's saying the same thing, too. When he found out we're going to be on the radio, he says, oh, you got to stop saying this. you got to start saying this. I don't know. As far as me, just speaking for me personally, I mean, I talk at a lot of events. And the way I always market this is I always ask the same question. Face the audience and say, how many of you believe that you have the right to live your life your way as long as you respect others? Show of hands. Every hand in, yeah, every hand is, every hand in the room goes up. And I just smile and say, we're all libertarian, aren't we? That, that is to me, that's the marketing. Because that way we bring everybody in. We all think we're all part of the same group. None of this libertarian party is the third largest or the best alternative or any of that stuff. No, no, no. You're a libertarian. I'm a libertarian. Our life, our way, as long as we respect others. The golden rule on a political level. 
And, you know, Roy's question got me thinking about political marketing in general. And I started putting together some notes on this, and I realized it was just so large that I – and I realized it sticks in my craw. That's why I'm going to be talking about political marketing at the end of the show. So let me save that for later and move on to the next question. Our next um, letter comes from – well, it's interestingly enough, it's a, it's a wonderful topic to discuss about puppy mills, and it's from two listeners. One is from Sherry Gentile from Salvadorville, Pennsylvania. I was um, – Sherry's saying, um, I was wondering if your views on puppy mills – um, your response would be greatly appreciated. And another listener, Alyssa Nicole, uh, says that she's a young voter who is wondering where you stand on the following issues, such as puppy animal mills and factory farming. Hmm. Isn't that odd how we get two questions on the same general subject? And let me give you some background. For those who don't know, a puppy mill is a derogatory term that some of these animal lovers like to use for animal breeders usually to describe the disreputable ones who do all sorts of nasty things with their animals, like keeping them locked up in filthy cages, no exercise, no health care, no screening for genetic defects, and worse than that. When you start talking to these people, you'll get an earful, believe me. I'm not sure who coined that phrase, puppy mill, but, you know, they remind me of Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and alcohol. They phrase it as an emotional issue rather than a political issue. So it comes down to the question, what do you mean by puppy mills? Because most breeders are reputable. Yeah, some are not. I mean, that's, that's what life is all about. Some are good, some are bad. Uh, and I can certainly sympathize because it can be heartbreaking if you find out too late that your new pet has serious problems that could have been avoided. It's a crying shame. I saw a billboard about that. But emotions aside, it makes sense to have standards so that breeders know the rules of the game and the public can make an informed choice. But in my opinion, government is not the organization to establish those things. I would rather see private organizations like, I don't know, American Kennel Club or something like Underwriters Laboratories or Good Housekeeping, Good Dog Keeping, I don't know. American Medical Association. I think any of those would be much more appropriate than the government. Last thing I want is politicians deciding this sort of thing. If we had that, the breeder could cite certification from one or more of them so the buyers know they're going to be getting a good puppy. That's a completely new name, not a puppy mill, a puppy heaven or something like that. So rather than a new law with political footballs, the only role for the state when it comes to breeders is to step in if there's been any kind of a misrepresentation or fraud, like saying, oh, I have AKC approval when they don't. If they commit fraud like that, they should go to jail. That said, I'm not sure exactly where Sherry and Alyssa may be coming from because there are already laws against mistreating animals. And I guess they would be applicable just as well to the puppy heaven people. I don't know. What do you, th- what do you think, Margaret? I just uh, think with any type of a consumer, just uh, be an educated consumer. Do your research um, before actually going out and buying a puppy. Go out to a local shelter. You know, when my daughters were little, I used to take them to the local shelters in Voorhees, and they used to get our, um, get to play with the animals, get to walk them, and they kind of got a perspective of what it's like to own a pet. And if you really, really want a pet, you know, just do your research. Mm-hmm. Do your due diligence before you go in and invest that $5,000 <laughs> if you want to buy a pure breed. Good grief. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm allergic to dogs anyway. I don't care. <laughs> no, I do care. I care about the dogs. But 
it's they're making it an emotional issue, all emotion, calling for more legislation when there's already legislation on the books about it. It's like, when did I do that? Episode 22, Deanna's Law, about drunk drivers. They want a new drunk driver law. Like, we already got drunk driver laws. Why have another one? There's already too many laws on the books as it is. And I guess it's the same thing about factory farming. It depends on what you mean, because most most farms are automated to a large degree. And I bet there are some people out there who are going to find fault with no matter what you do with automated farming. And I bet there are some on the other end of the spectrum, too, who wouldn't find any fault, regardless of how barbaric their methods may be. Bottom line is get government out of it. Let's set standards and let people people decide for themselves. And, Margaret, you're right. They should be more cautious consumers, especially when you're dealing with another life. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got time for one more. Let's sneak one more in. Catherine's? Yes, Catherine Ranks. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, wants to know, um, can you state that you support all varieties of marriage? And we were wondering what that entails. It is limited to gay marriage? Is it limited to gay marriage? Or does he also support polygamy and or other forms that we hadn't considered? Hmm. A short answer is I support all varieties of marriage. And maybe we talk about that with our pastor in a little bit. Remind me. I talked about marriage at length in episode six how it sticks in my crawl. The government even tries to be in the marriage businesses. Do you know how marriage licenses were first instituted? I feel like I know this answer. Uh, they were both made first to stop interracial marriages. Oh, right, right. And today they're using those same racist techniques against the ligbits, or LGBTs, they're spelled. I call them ligbits because it's easier to say. And I'm not going to go into all those details again. You can listen to it if you're interested. Beginning of episode six, which you can get on our website at PennsylvaniaProject.com. But as your specific question, when I say all varieties of marriage, I say all because you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. I favor the complete separation of marriage and state. And who's the state to stand in the way of true love anyway, right? Mm-hmm. None of my business anyway, how you run your private affairs. Have you got one person in your bedroom, you got a whole big party there. And I don't call it polygamy, by the way, polyamorous is the nicer word to be like a lot of people. So if you want three, 10, 20 people to join marriage or other forms we haven't considered, as you put it, doesn't matter to me, so so be it. I don't know what you would have me do. Use the power of government to hold a gun to their heads and say, no, 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 you can't do that. Bust into their homes, put them in a cage, take away their children. That's what laws are. Kenny, don't play that. It's your life, your way. So... If you want to get married, go ahead. If you want to have inheritance rights, go ahead. Put it in your will. If you want to have medical power of attorney, go ahead. Sign it. The only role for the state in marriage is to adjudicate any disputes. Government does not belong in the marriage business. Am I missing anything, Margaret? No, you're right. uh, I just want to point out that uh, I had the best time at a two guys getting married. One was Jewish and one was Indian. Boy, <laughs> they know how to throw a party. <laughs> I bet. Oh God, it's, the food must have been great. And the attire on the Indian side so, was very colorful. And then you see the Jewish side all black and white. <laughs> uh huh. What do they have? Very Cur- complimentary. Curry locks? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Beats me. I think on that note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of the show. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and a past Libertarian candidate for state senate, the Reverend Adam Reinhardt. 
Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed. Available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do these words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? Well, they're not. They're all direct quotes taken from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But more importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long past time we change those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. It's up on our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, please add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania, asking them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please, sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Do it now while it's still on the top of your mind. Get your friends to sign it, your neighbors, your co-workers. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore. <laughs> well spoken. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the them portion of episode 29 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. As I mentioned at the top of the show, our guest today is a mix of the political and cultural with a dash of environmental. We have here the Reverend Adam Reinhardt, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church up in the Poconos. He's also a past Libertarian candidate for state Senate. He's the founder and currently the chair of the Monroe County Libertarians. And he's a fellow fan of Sunfish Pond on the Appalachian Trail right off the Delaware Water Gap. Adam, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. It's good to be here, Ken. Uh, Ken, you will always be my governor. Your bumper sticker is still on the back of my car, <laughs> just to let everyone know. Uh, it's on the back of one of my cars. The one that I had it on the other one, the, the car died. They wouldn't inspect it again. Can I get a bumper sticker? I don't have one. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're a bit old. I'm not running again. <laughs> At least I'm not planning on it. I keep asking the wife, and, and she says... 
I don't know. Well, stand Maybe back. She vetoes that. If you're going to ask, stand, just stand back. Now, I told people, people said, would you run again? I said, if there's a million dollars in the bank account waiting to run on January 1st of 2022, I'll consider it. You heard it here first. Start that GoFundMe. We need a million bucks. There you go. A million bucks, and I'll consider. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. I would do it, but i got to convince the wife. That's what it's going to be. Where to begin? We should begin with Sunfish Pond. Well, we should. you said a dash of environmentalism. I, I like to think that uh, I have a bit more than a dash in me. I'm an avid outdoorsman, as are you. That's one of the yes. things we first bonded on, I think, when we met, when we were both uh, campaigning at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was running for PA District 40. Yep. And I was just out on the Appalachian Trail last weekend. Me and the wife and our nine, I'd say he was 10, but he was nine years old. And we were right up in Monroe, Monroe County. Yeah, my stomping grounds. Yep, just outside of Stroudsburg, right off of the Delaware Water Gap. And that's when I found out my wife has never been to Sunfish Pond. Which How is to beautiful. remedy that. It's a, it's a lake on top of a mountain five miles from the nearest road. How do you beat it? How do you beat it? You just don't. Well, let's come back. A pastor. That's right. How did you become a pastor? Well, I had a temporary moment of insanity when I was about 17, and I've been reaping the consequences ever since. Uh-huh. Well, well, that just calls for some details. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was, um, like most 17-year-olds, looking at the prospect of graduating high school and going to college and not knowing what the heck I wanted to do. And realizing that there was really only one place in my life where my passions and my talents sort of lined up in a way that made sense, and that was uh, the involvement I had at my church mm-hmm. and uh, my passion for helping people. And I thought oh, that, yeah. that that would be a way I could um, have a career out of helping people in uh, in something that I'm passionate about. So I went to college for it and didn't know at first if I was going to go the academic route or the pastoral route. Um, or the humanitarian aid route. I had all these options in front of me, and I just kept on putting one foot in front of the other until I ended up in a parish, <laughs> which it's been a wild ride. It really has been uh-huh. over the past 10 years. It, that was my next question. How long have you been in the in the business? Is, is the business what do you call it? Well, <laughs> an avocation? Or? It's, a, it's a vocation for sure. It's a calling. Um, I have been doing full-time parish work now for... Almost three years, I would say. Mm-hmm. And before that, of course, I was in seminary and I was doing field work. Um, so I've been doing parish work of some variety for the better part of the last 10 years, but in an uh-huh. official full-time capacity where people call me pastor uh, about three years now. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And you're a libertarian, too. And I'm a libertarian. You know... <laughs> During my campaign, a buddy of mine said, someone needs to write an op-ed about you because you might be the most interesting candidate running anywhere right now. You're, uh-huh. uh, you're a Lutheran pastor, you're a libertarian, and you're a, a – what did you call your word for uh, LGBT people? Ligbits. Ligbits. Just, I'm also, LGBT I also happen ligbit. to be a ligbit. You know? There you so, go. He said, you got a, a gay Lutheran pastor running for uh, <laughs> office as a libertarian. How, how confused are people when you talk to them? Uh-huh. Pretty confused at first. Yeah, but I don't see any conflict anywhere down the line. Well, neither do I. But (laughs) a lot of people don't like me for one of those many things. Well, they should be a little more forgiving. I would say, don't you think? Maybe care, especially the Christian ones. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. They got they got a good example to follow there. It's amazing. No, I shouldn't. I shouldn't come down on Christians. I was raised Roman Catholic, so I have first first hand experience with this. I call myself a recovering Roman Catholic. 
I have a lot of those in my parish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know enough about the Lutheran faith to really do any kind of a comparison. Well, we, you know, you've heard of the Protestants, right? The Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther was the first one to, well, not the first one, the first successful uh, person to stand up against the Roman Catholic establishment. Uh, he never intended to start his own church, but, well, they decided to excommunicate him and sentence him to death, and so he fled. <laughs> kind of, uh, not the best way to make friends or influence people. No, no, <laughs> but it, it just so happens that many of the princes throughout Germany liked some of his reforms, and so they protected him and backed his his reform campaigns and uh, mm-hmm. ended up starting a whole thing. And uh, Ehrlich, Ehrlich Zwingli and John Calvin in Switzerland followed his lead, eventually the King of England followed his lead, Menno Simmons, and that's why we have all these different Protestant branches, is all because of the one guy. He's the instigator. He's the instigator, the gadfly, the guy who got Uh the whole thing started. And his whole message was, uh, we are unconditionally loved and forgiven by God, apart from any contributions of our own merit. Uh, And that we don't earn our forgiveness or earn our stature before God. God has already given us all of the love that he could ever possibly give us in and through Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just look at life itself. Well, it, yeah, it's already, you look at it through those eyes, it's a gift. Yeah. Every single day is a gift. Uh, I agree with that completely. Yeah. We didn't earn our place here. None of us chose to be born and come into this crazy world. And Yeah, but we're lucky because we're on the most prosperous country on the planet. We're at the top of the food chain. <laughs> All the other, It just doesn't get better than that. Sure, sure. Not that some people in the most prosperous country aren't also feeling at the bottom of the food chain from time yeah, to time. It is true. But then there are people like you there to take care of them. We try. Uh-huh. We try. Now, libertarianism is very close to that because, as I like to say all the time, you have the right to live your life your way as long mm-hmm. as you respect others. And that, that's where it comes down to. You know? well, it is surprising to me that more Christians aren't libertarian um, because when they profess that Jesus is Lord, you know, that's the oldest creed of the Christian people. That predates even the writing of most of the New Testament. That's sort of how Christians first identified themselves. They'd say Jesus is Lord and they'd be thrown in jail or killed for it because that means that Caesar is not. Hmm. That's right. So, and that still rings true today. Although American Christians don't seem to be able to look at their own country and identify it with Caesar and with Rome, they think that it's some sort of a shining city on a hill, and that language is used often. But I mean, if if the people running our government are any indication, uh, we're nowhere even close to a Christian nation. Uh huh. And you know, I've run against Christians before, and I'm thinking of one in particular, Peg Luxick. Wonderful lady. She's great when it comes to education. But she's also a very devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And she and I crossed swords on a number of things. Like, for example, Article One of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which is never far from my elbow here, it mentions, and I could probably do it from memory, uh, all men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent and indefeasible rights among those are which of enjoying and defending life and liberty acquiring, possessing, and protecting property and reputation, and of pursuing their own happiness. But she proclaimed very loud and long against private gambling. Hmm. I mean, if, if I want to squander my money, and Pennsylvania Constitution guarantees that. Right. And she steps in there. And also, I should have kept it open to that page because Article 4 mentions the right of conscience. Mm-hmm. And all these things are in our petition, by the way, online at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And it says... You can worship Almighty God according to the dictates of your own conscience, and you can't be compelled to attend, erect, or support any place of worship or ministry against your consent. Unless, of course, you decide you're not going to bake a cake for a gay person. 
Well, that is a sticky wicket, isn't it? And she comes down on the side of the traditional Christian point of view, like with the league bits. She does not approve of the league bits, does not approve of making cakes for them, doesn't approve of all these funny marriages, all these whatever it was that the funny marriage the funny marriages <laughs> hey, the one I got the one I have is, is more than enough for me thank you very much your description of 20 people getting married reminded me of a Bojack Horseman episode anyone watch that show yeah absolutely <laughs> hysterical I, I've never heard of it it's on Netflix it's about a talking horse with depression <laughs> it's a little out there uh, when, when <laughs> I was a kid it's a cartoon uh, when I was a kid there was a show on called Mr. Ed he was a talking horse. I think think if Mr. Ed had an alcohol problem. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Wilbur. That was a long time ago. I haven't watched TV. 1975. I don't know how to do the math. 40-some 40, 40 years. <laughs> I was at Pennsylvania Cable Network, their 40th anniversary party last week, and I mentioned that. And they said, 40-some years? I said, yeah, I've got a life. And they're like, ooh, because they're all TV people. Yeah, I'm a TV person, too. I probably binge-watched two hours of it yesterday uh let's, let's pull it back a little bit marriage yeah you marry people uh, i have indeed uh-huh. uh married people do you do um, these these funny marriages well i haven't been asked to do one yet and it would be very interesting to see how that goes in my neck of the woods uh, in northeast pa it's a very conservative area but mm-hmm. the congregation is a pretty fairly divided politically speaking i'd say we're half republican half democrat um, they all voted unanimously to call me as their pastor, knowing that I'm an openly gay man, which wow. I think was very impressive and a big step for a lot of the people in that congregation. I think that's great. Um, the the people who might have a problem with it just stayed home that day instead of coming out and, and raising a fuss. Um, but you know, I, th- I think I'm slowly beginning to change hearts and minds in that congregation and in that town. Um, and I'm not going to name the congregation or the town. But because um, I didn't ask their, their consent to come do this. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today is the Reverend Adam Reinhardt, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and past candidate, libertarian candidate for state senate. I'm your caster, Ken Korolchuk, and you're listening to The Pennsylvania Project, episode 29, to be precise. We'll be right back after this information. Are you thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam Shaw and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glensdale, Philadelphia, or Glensdale, Pennsylvania, at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work with the design that you provide. That's call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK. Or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Hey, Margaret Sassuni here, cohort on the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job, at least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning, communication, and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I'm on the radio. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name, Margaret Susuni. 
The future is anxiously waiting. Competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts with Toastmasters.org. Hey, you a small business owner? Always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach for generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single thing. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y dot com. Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom and Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while you helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college to retirement, planning to a rollover, 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at AJ Freedom Financial has has been and always will be our clients. Call AJ Freedom Financial today to talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. Again, 866-383-6899. AJ Freedom Financial, helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Gradient Services, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities, LLC. Excellent. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 29 of the Pennsylvania Project. And my guest, the Reverend Adam Reinhardt, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church up in Monroe County and a past Libertarian candidate for state senate. And I'm always surprised when people don't run out the door. <laughs> no, we're doing good here. Now, we're focusing a lot on the religious side. Let's shift over to the political. Sure. We already said there was really no conflict between all these various things, these hats that you're wearing. What is it? How, do you, how did they cross-pollinate each other? I mean, what, was your, what was your race like? Oh, what was my race like? Well, um, it started kind of in an interesting way. They had had a candidate that they were going to put on a ballot, uh, the Northampton County Libertarian Party, and that candidate had to drop off the ballot. So they were looking for someone because with that candidate on the ballot, they had a full slate uh, in, in a number of uh, voting districts. So they asked me, would I be willing to do it? And I said, well, absolutely. That sounds like uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I come to find out it, it was a wild ride. Because, you know, we, I was running against uh, Tara Probst, the mayor of Stroudsburg, um, who's a Democrat. And then Mario Scavello was the incumbent Republican. And I think the biggest surprise to me was you know, when I when I met Tara at um, the uh, the, um, that, the the black women's voters group. They were having a, a, a meet and greet with candidates. And that's how mm-hmm. I met Tara. And um she was immediately enthusiastically friendly to me. She gave me her phone number. She, you know, said, I want this to be a, a cordial race. And I, I really appreciated that. Uh-huh. Most, um, most politicians I found are very friendly people and they have the best interests of their community at heart. I don't know if that's true <laughs> of all people, but, but <laughs> no, certain, that's certainly true of, um, <laughs> of Tara. And uh, in fact, she's Demo- Democrat or Republican? Democrat, Democrat. Democrat. That's odd. And, uh, and we would go back and forth and have fun conversations like, I think you're really a libertarian. And she's like, I'm really not. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, fair enough. Ask but. her my question. Do you think you have the right to live your life your way as long as you respect others? She's going to say, 
Of course. She'd say yes, but as with most people, and as I found do- knocking door to door, because that was my primary uh, vehicle of, of campaigning. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't put any money into advertising. I, I got a website, and I went door to door. Um, and then I got on TV a couple of times, and that was a really cool experience. Uh, are you a Toastmaster? I am not, but I think I should be. He yeah. sounds like one. <laughs> he does. Well, it, it comes with... Uh, being in the pulpit every every single Sunday, I think I, I learned yeah, to. But you got divine inspiration there. That's cheating. I guess so. People <laughs> always, when they say I had a good sermon, I say oh, I had a little bit of help. A little so, back, backup band there. Is yeah, good. And that's what, if people don't like my sermons too. I say blame blame the guy upstairs. He tells me what to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's all your fault. But, but going door to door, I find that most people are libertarians, but. Everyone's got a butt, and some people's butts are bigger than others. Uh, <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> and, no, what, and what were your what were your issues? My big issues, uh, and to reflect the big issues that I heard from most people I talked to, going door to door, were um, well, property taxes. Right he, oh, in Monroe yeah. County, that's um, anybody who owns property that is their one big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was a bill not long ago, uh, SB seventy six, and hey, I, yep. I looked up on that and said. You know, I don't like everything in it, but as a compromise, it probably comes closest to what I'd like to see done. Yeah, let me pause you there because SB 76 was a – it would shift the property tax, eliminate property Mm -hmm. tax, but give us an incredibly huge sales tax and other taxes. How how much bigger was the increase? Because I heard it was only like a percent. I heard like 17 percent or something. It's it's huge. Just look at the numbers because it's billions. I called it – I oppose HB 76. I love getting rid of property tax, and I have a plan to do that. I'm not going to get into that now. But I called SB 76 a shell game. Mm. They're hiding the tax under here, hiding it under there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's designed to not decrease revenue or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's supposed to all even out when I right. think the, the real thing is we need to lower spending. I agree. Uh, and that's obvious and to me. Another problem with SB 76 is that it moved control of the schools away from the communities. Uh-huh. And now it's being done in Harrisburg, and it's hundreds of miles away from most people in the state. And now it's a political football in the state level where your local guy, if you don't like him, you vote him out. Right, right. It would equalize funding so that, you know, poor neighborhoods wouldn't have poorer schools. So that was another thing that I thought would be, oh, I don't know, you know, tell poten- that, potentially better. Tell that to the people out here on the main line, you know, because I know I'm in Abington Township. And if you divide the number of students into the budget, it's about $20,000 a kid. Mm-hmm. And if you do that out in uh, on the main line, you can hope with numbers like $30,000, $40,000 a kid. And we go into Philadelphia, what's well, about Eight ten thousand dollars a kid. You can even that out. Philadelphia's going to love it. Mainline's going to hate it. So it's yeah, yeah. Shell game. But it's you know poor people's kids deserve to have the same quality of education as rich people's kids. Oh, and so you're going to end government education? Uh, well, that that I, that would obviously be the ideal if we could yeah, if we could somehow privatize the whole thing. But it's in the Constitution, Article Three, Section Fourteen. I don't have to open it up. States have run a thorough and efficient method of public education <laughs> to serve the needs of the Commonwealth. Well, it does serve the needs, right? They don't teach the kids the Constitution. Yeah, you know, I I had a experience in the private schools and in the public schools, and even though I I didn't learn about the Pennsylvania Constitution, I am sorry to say, um, <laughs> nobody I did. did. <laughs> don't be sorry. It's I, I had some taught. great civics teachers who taught me about the United States Constitution mm-hmm. and um, you know engaged us in in current events issues, and and I think uh, really gave me some of the critical thinking tools that have helped me. Uh, develop my my libertarian philosophy, whereas in the private schools, um, that was that was really where they they hammered me with conservative politics. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it was it was like if you supported gay marriage or abortion at the school that I went to in middle school, like you were a pariah. Uh-huh. And uh, and I was a pariah not because I had any political opinions, but uh, because I didn't like the dress code. And I was <laughs> uh-huh. re- rebelled in all my slightly rebellious ways. And, like every other teenage boy on the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it, that, in a sense, shaped me, too, because I, in elementary school, I went to this Montessori-style private school in a Lutheran church. Nice. And that was wonderful because I was able to be the weird kid that I was. And going from that to really rigid private Christian school was... Like, you know, F this. I wasn't mm-hmm. having it. Uh, and then to land in public school after that, having sort of the, the best experiences of all three varieties of schools. Government schools. Government schools, yes. Not public. Okay. 7-Elevens are public. <laughs> government schools are run by the government. And they choose Fair not, to, not to teach you the Pennsylvania state Constitution. State schools, we'll call them that. Anyway, like the state stores. They don't call them state stores anymore. <laughs> now they're fine wine and good spirits. Yeah, that, that was my other big thing. Abolish the liquor control board. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was one of my big uh, topics. And we had that, and I'm looking at my list of episodes. I went on about that for a long time, about the state stores. Yeah. I got some interesting responses when I told people, like, top five issues for me is, is a, get the government out of the liquor industry entirely. Uh-huh. And, you know, some people were enthusiastic, yes, on that. And other people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have everyone being alcoholics now. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was episodes 24 and 26. We had a guy from the PLCB send in a question about, you know, should we privatize liquors? And I was like, absolutely. And I went on for all the reasons about communistic yeah. monopolies and everything. And he came back and he said, well, you just don't care about PLCB employees. Like, I don't think so. I mean, you'd have a better job, <laughs> pay more. Yeah, they, they get more money being a bartender. They should go do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to I bring something back. I, I thought this. I hadn't thought of this beforehand. Coming back to the pastor idea, you're helping people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is a really radical thing. I, I guess you have a lot of widows Certainly. Uh Don't they get lonely? Well, yeah, and that's, uh, I find, one of the reasons why churches are such senior populations is because, um, you know, having usually lost their spouse or their their kids have moved away, Uh they they need community and they need support, and uh, church offers that uh, for lots of little old ladies and little old men and big old men. We got all of them, all shapes and sizes of old people. Yeah, yeah, but again, this this is a, a radical idea, but... You know, since they're they're lonely, maybe they're mm-hmm. lonely for com- company with a with a man. Maybe you know a little. Oh, do I? I don't. Little, I don't often see a uh, little them. hugging and kissing. Maybe I, I don't see the church being used as a, a senior dating institution. Although, actually, uh, the two people on our council yeah. are getting married uh, next month, so uh-huh. that is well, exciting. That is. You but, know, a lot of rabbis uh, play matchmakers, so uh, it's totally okay. Uh, I, I was thinking actually going going a step further than that. And saying, you know, why not have the, since the pastor is there to help people and everything, why can't the pastor supply the hugging and kissing? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, uh, every class in professional ethics I've ever taken screams, uh, "Don't do that!" Uh, yeah, but if you want to help your congregation and that's what they need, oh, this is getting weird, guys. <laughs> oh, like I told you, the, th- the thought it's just like came. Richard Dawson on Family Feud, where he kissed every contestant on the lips. Oh, you no. don't want. You don't want uh, to. Do I, that. I have. I've even. I'm. I'm actually a, a huggy guy, and I've shied away from uh, even doing that uh-huh. because I've had one or two experiences where. Uh, you know, parishioners, not, not in my present congregation and churches I've done work for in the past have become a bit too clingy and a bit too uh, reliant on my attention and affirmation. And that, that can be kind of destructive in its own way. Uh-huh. 
uh, and and plus it just weirds me out when you know <laughs> a little old lady likes you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't want a little old lady me to you. No. Yeah. Well, and that would be it would be a little difficult for an old lady to me to me like an <laughs> openly gay pastor. Maybe, maybe she wants to reform. She doesn't know that. Know. Well, I'm sure quite a few of them would would like to reform me, but hopefully not with them. Maybe with their daughters, but not with themselves. Uh huh. <laughs> Good grief. Yes, you're right. It, it did go off on a tangent. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it's good to get a couple laughs in. It is. And I was just always curious about these sorts of things. No, it's actually, um, if I were to even begin dating somebody of my own age demographic in a church, mm-hmm. uh, I'd have to be very careful about how to go about doing that. So, um, so you think the celibacy requirement in the Catholic Church is is a good idea? No. Um, <laughs> I do. I genuinely think some people have a gift for it and are called to it, and I pass no judgment on people who feel called to the priesthood, who who believe that that is their calling. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a as a mandate on all clergy, I think we've seen uh, many of the ways in which that is kind of disastrous, right because human beings are sexual beings, and that in, that, ladies and gentlemen, that includes your clergy. <laughs> yes, no surprise. <laughs> as awkward as that might be to think about for some of you listeners. And when they came out of that list of priests, I went down the list of priests, and three of uh-huh. them, three of them were in my high school, and two of them taught me. Wow. Yeah. The one guy, he didn't like me at all. I should be grateful for that. <laughs> I, maybe so, you yeah. Type. That's right. He taught my brother, too, and he liked my brother. Yeah, that's a, that's a really problematic topic. <laughs> right. we, we are, and we should stop because we are out of time. Oh, Adam, do you want any last minute things you want to throw in there? Anything we didn't cover? Well, website just, or something? Yeah, um, the Monroe County PA Libertarians uh, are, are meeting and organizing tomorrow uh, at eight o'clock in Stroudsburg at the Willow Tree Inn at eight o'clock, and we're going to meet a, a candidate for. Uh, school board in East Stroudsburg, so anyone who's able to come out to that, I encourage you to. We're looking for more people to get involved. Okay. One thing, though, this is not going to air until Saturday. Oh, shucks. That's right. No one's going to hear so this. So when are your regular meetings? Well, our regular meetings, we, tr- we try to meet one Friday a month, and okay. that's decided at the meetings. But if you look up our Facebook page, we're the Monroe County PA Libertarians, Okay. and uh, you can get involved with us there. That's it. Well, that's going to have to wrap it up for the them portion of our show. My thanks, thanks again to our guest, the Reverend Adam Reinhardt, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and a past Libertarian candidate for state Senate. Thank you for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, political marketing. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? It could be better. Why? What's the matter? Well, I found this great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms. I'm a libertarian, remember? Well, then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? Like, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Oh, that sounds perfect. Where do I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. 
You've been a registered libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. <coughs> Keep abreast of the March Toward Liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for local political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So, visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is awaiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 29 of the Pennsylvania Project. This is the part where I get to rant about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, it's political marketing. Oh, yeah. We are all too familiar with political marketing, way too familiar, if you ask me. All the negative campaigning, the barrage of TV ads, banner ads, yard signs everywhere. And then there are always those half-truths that they like. He voted against this great law, they'll say. But somehow they forget to mention of the terrible provisions in that law that made it deserving to be voted against. Tell you, those two old parties, they have their slick marketers. I mentioned about Roy's question up front. Their focus groups, their test audience, spin doctors. And the worst part of all of that, did you know there is an entire industry built up around those kinds of shenanigans? Have you ever heard of Campaign and Elections magazine? It's a glossy ad-filled publication that's dedicated to influencing the minds of the American electorate. In my early years as a libertarian candidate, I subscribed to it for a little while, just in an attempt to learn the trade. I always like to do things like that. It didn't take me very long at all to realize that I am not one of them. I have absolutely no interest in becoming one of them either. I'm not a slick handout guy. I'm not a negative campaigning guy. I'm not a flip-flopper or a finger-to-the-wind campaigner or anything like that. And in general, we libertarians have none of that. That's because we have our principles, and we feel that those principles are self-evident. We don't have to spin them. We've held the same principles since our founding in 1971, and we still hold them today. You heard me say it 100 times, and not just on today's show. I think I said it like eight times on today's show. Because every law we libertarians support or oppose can be traced back to one central idea. You have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. What else could we want to say? It's the golden rule on a political level. But, you know, we all make mistakes. I made one. There was one race where I actually took on a political consultant. Price was right. The guy was free. And I deferred his judgment. It turned out on way too many things. One of the worst suggestions he ever made was to say, take the word libertarian off of everything. Instead, replace it with a slogan, common sense leadership, which is certainly true, but it's certainly trite as well. Everybody says, oh, yeah, this is common sense. It's a stupid idea because... The biggest reason to vote libertarian is because we're libertarians. Your life, your way, remember? Golden rule, right? Respecting others. He had me set aside my most potent weapon in the political battle and just take it and toss it aside. When people ask me, why should we hand you the reins of government? I had no answer besides, oh, you can trust me, (laughs) which is exactly what every other politician in the world says. Taking on a political consultant was the absolute worst mistake I've ever made in politics. Worse than my pure blind stupidity letter to the school board that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago. 
And I'm not a politician, by the way, because I have not yet broken a promise. If I ever break a promise, then you can call me a politician. I promise you. But regardless of how you choose to market the Libertarian Party, whether it's Roy's way or my way or Adam's way or something else, there's always something to keep in the back of your mind or probably more better in the yeah, more better, <laughs> better in the front of your mind because of the dire warnings about political parties in general, political parties in general, that came from one of the most impeccable sources on political parties, George Washington. In his farewell address, he warned about political parties and in no uncertain terms. Maybe a little long-winded, but definitely certain. Let me read for you a little bit of what he said. This is a direct quote from George Washington's farewell address. Political parties serve to organize faction, to give it an artificial and extraordinary force, to put in place of the delegated will of the nation, the will of the party. Often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community and, according to the alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of their ill-conceived and incongruous projects of faction, rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by consensual councils and mutual interests. Those are some pretty strong words coming from our founding father. Pretty accurate. Here it is 200 years, over 200 years later. Definitely it's true. But that's not all he said. There's more. Quote, let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirits of parties generally. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one party against another, and foments occasional riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. Does that sound familiar? Can you say Ukraine or Russia? I know we don't talk about things outside of Pennsylvania on this, but is this prophetic or what? But that ain't it. There's more. It gets even worse. Quote, However combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely, in the course of time and things, to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Is that prophetic or what? I mean, it's exactly what's going on now. You know, Roy mentioned at the top of the show that he wanted the Libertarian Party to become better marketers. Listening to what Mr. Washington said, is that what you had in mind, Roy? A different way to, of marketing the Libertarian Party to make us one of them? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe not. Instead... I think we should present the truth the way it is. We should say we're the third largest political party, in Pen not only in Pennsylvania, but in all of America. We outnumber all the other third parties put together, whether it's in terms of voter registrations, official serving in public office, or influence over the issues of the day. And we continue to grow. 
So rather than misinformation or spin or focus groups, why don't we just rely on the facts? They stand on their own. And you don't have to keep track of them or who you said what to. And it works. It's working for me. Let me give you an example. I've run for Pennsylvania governor three times now. The first time, I got over 30,000 votes. The second time, I got over 40,000 votes. 2018, I ran again, and I got almost 50,000 votes. How is that for marketing, Roy? Better and better and better. Election after election after election. We've all heard that old saying that it only takes 25 years to become an overnight sensation. Well, that's the path we libertarians are on. Maybe it's not as fast as some people would like, but if, the, if they think it's necessary to sell our souls, to speed it up, to become an artful and enterprising minority, as George would put it, to subscribe to Campaign and Elections magazine, then count me out. I'll have none of it. Just leave with my steady increasing vote totals, the Libertarian Party steadily increasing voter registrations, and steadily increasing influence over public policy, because obviously we're doing what's working today. On that patriotic note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 29 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition. And you could hear us there as well as on iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster, Stephen Worley, marketing guru, Connor Tricotis, featured Toastmaster narrator, Andrew Greer, featured Toastmaster cohort, Margaret Sassuni, keyboard wizard, Joe the Pag, radio producer, Brett Kronberger, executive producer, Mark Pizzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. <laughs>